Anyway, um, we're picking up in Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. Yes. I believe that's where that's I right. left. That's where I left. I don't know where you yeah, guys left off, that's but that's where, where I left off. off. Um, what verse is it? 13, brother. 13 in chapter 14. Yeah, I got 14. Okay. Let me know when you're there. Yeah. Okay. Um, what we're doing is... We had just gone over John the Baptist uh, meeting his demise, uh, Matthew's account. Uh, John was beheaded uh, by Herod's decree because some little girl danced. And that's how he got his head chopped off in a matter of pride. Herod's pride got uh, John's head decapitated. You know, I, I'm not really sure whatever happened to the head. I, I know there's traditions and... There's all kinds of lore that come from this, but uh, it doesn't matter. Jesus is dealing with it. Uh, remember that he is a relative of Jesus. He's a cousin. He's a friend of Jesus. And he's also in the, the same ministry with the same goal. The two are connected from the beginning of time. Uh, this isn't just two people who just met because they were family. He was, going, he was ordained to be here and be who he was before the earth was formed. And what happened had to happen. And I remind you of his own words, John the Baptist's own words. He must be less. I must, I mean, I must be less. He must be more. And this accomplished that. Uh, that's all I can tell you. And I believe that John was more than willing to do that to have it happen. So verse 13, we pick up and it says, Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. So, of course, uh, you know, Scripture does nothing to hide Jesus' emotions. Uh, obviously, it hurts. I mean, Jesus knows exactly who John was. He knew what his ministry was. He knew when John would die. He knew all these things. He's God. But it still hurts. And, you know, a lot of times we know where the people we love are going. But it hurts. I mean, you miss them, and it, it I, I offer you once again a Lazarus and Jesus crying, you know, and because and he he told them he was going to die that he's going he knows all these things, he knew Lazarus was going to die, he knew he'd rise again, he knew that Lazarus would die again. And Lazarus died twice, you know. <laughs> so when you stop and think about it, and he still cried, and it says because he saw their sorrow. He, he, he feels it. He knows. God is not detached, I think is the best way to put it. Uh, now, when Jesus, and they heard uh, this, they followed him on foot from the city. So Jesus hops into a boat to get some alone time. And however he gets wherever he gets, I'm assuming somebody rows him. Where you know, they, We don't get these details. But he tries to get out ahead of the crowd and go somewhere where he can have some alone time to think about his own sorrow and to think about John and converse with the Lord uh, but the people uh, of course you know no they, they they won't I mean he is on a roll he's healing everybody I mean he's at the top of the game man and he just you know he he's any celebrity you can think of he's that and more you know he he is the talk of the nation now verses 13 to 36 speak to miracles Jesus performed with John dead, I assume that uh, many of his followers turned to Jesus. I often wonder how many followed him for spiritual reasons and how many of this crowd were following him 
for healing or for political change, which is what we still follow him for, these things. You know, what he can do for us instead of what we should be doing for him. Uh, It's a strange thing. When you hear this crowd thing, I often wonder how much sincerity is in the crowd. How many people are looking at him as the Messiah, you know, the, uh, the Christ, if it's sinking in. And also, uh, this had to be a very hard time for John's disciples to, to make the transition from one to the other. Uh, and I'm sure Jesus welcomed them all. But it says, uh, verse 14, when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd. So he didn't even get to have the chance to be alone. It, he wrote, they wrote him across to get away from the people, and the people just took the long way. And I'm assuming they hurried. Uh, you know, there was some uh, importance to their travel. Because wherever he was going to pull in, they were shadowing him along the shore. And I'm not talking one or two people, a throng of people. I mean, a, a crowd, you know, like... Uh, you know, like a stadium full of Steeler fans just following along everywhere he went. So finally he had to put ashore. He saw a large crowd and and it says, in the midst of his sorrow, in the midst of what he needed to do as a human being, because he was still human, he felt compassion for them. And never lose sight of that. That comes up several times in the Gospels. Where he feels, where he did things out of, where and it lets us know, he did it out of compassion. It wasn't just because that's what the plan book laid out. I didn't, you know, I do A, B, C, and D. I do it in this order uh, because that's what God and I planned. But there seems to be these times where compassion overwhelms him, and almost every time you see that, there's some, there's healing. Um. To me, I could be wrong. I always see it as a as non-scheduled healings. <laughs> Jesus had these healings that were set, that were going to happen. The man on the road into Jerusalem, uh, born blind. From the beginning of time, that guy was going to be there, and it was set for a purpose, you know, for him to stand there. He said, you know, why was he there? He was there for the kingdom. That's what Jesus answered, you know, why is he blind? He was blind for the kingdom. Uh, this was ordained. Well, these to me seem to not be. This is this is why we pray. By the way, I mean I know we 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 pray and our prayer should be your will, not mine. And say that as earnestly as you can. But you still want things. Sometimes. But you still want stuff, and you need to let God. You know, it's good for you to let Him know that, because He does respond. Um, he will always do what's best for you and what's best for the situation, what's best for the kingdom. But this, he feels compassion. Uh, It seems to be a different tier of him responding to human beings. Um, This is something more personal uh, about his ministry. It's, you know, Jesus healed them, preached to them, and then he fed them. Remember that these are the exact same people. I mean, this is up north, but I'm assuming many of them were down in Jerusalem uh, for when he came in. These are the same people who yelled to crucify him. Uh, You remember, people went to Jerusalem for Passover. So uh, compassion is the motive for Christ's appearance. It's the motive for his death. It's the motive for his resurrection. 
And compassion is rooted in what? Love. What is God? God is love. If Jesus didn't feel compassion, something would be wrong. It couldn't be right. You know what I mean? Uh, he did He did what he did simply because we needed him to do it. That's why Jesus Christ did everything he did. That's why he came here. That's why he suffered. That's why he died. Because we needed him to do it. And that's what love does. It does what needs to be done. He goes past the reason uh, for their situations and directs himself to relieving their problems. The one who could judge instead helps. There's not a lot of times where Jesus uh, was asked to do something or healed somebody where he blamed somebody for being in the condition they were in. Try to find it. I, I mean, now the disciples at times would try to bring it up. Was this their fault? You know, and that sort of stuff. Um, but it's not there. And it's it's a tough one because in our own minds, we try to, well, there absolutely is such a thing as uh, helping someone in a way that doesn't really help them. Codependency, that sort of thing. And that's a bit of wisdom, uh, but in our minds, sometimes we, when we, when somebody encounters an issue or has a problem or has a pain or something bad happens, in our minds we want to try to say, "Well, I hate saying this, but they sort of got it coming." You know what I mean? It's part of our human nature. What I'm saying is, even if that's true, and we, and by the way, we all have it coming. There isn't anybody on this planet who no matter what happens to you tomorrow, you don't have it coming. Uh, we are sinners. Uh, we are, you know, desperately wicked, Scripture says. Um, the point is, that's not our job. Our job is to help as much as we can. And if speaking the truth about their situation helps, then it helps. But in general, that should never stop us from helping someone or doing what we can do unless that help will hurt them. And anybody who's ever dealt with addiction has to come to the point in time where they have to say about somebody, uh, I, giving them money would not help them. It would hurt them. That's sort of a separate thing here. But what I'm trying to do is get the idea of what compassion is and let allow compassion to rule your intellect. Allow it to overwhelm your judgment and your thought, even if it's true. And what I'm saying is, is a lot of times it's true. Uh, you know, I'll say it again. We all got it coming. Uh, I don't care what happens. Um, compassion. It's defined as sympathetic consciousness of others. Distress together with a desire to alleviate it. In other words, you feel distressed over their distress. That's basically what compassion is. And if you don't feel that, you need to feel that. You need to have God fill your heart and bring it about. Would, would the word empathy be like compassion? It is, yes. Empathy and compassion are the same thing. They're, they're, to me, they're almost in, you know, the same thing. I, I assume there's some technical difference. But point is, when we see it and it strikes you, and it doesn't happen all the time, but there are times when you see it and it really hits you hard. There's just something, you see something on TV or you meet somebody, and man, for some reason... 
it just stays on your heart. It's just not the usual, I'll pray for you, you do, and then you let it go. It affects you. Well, I think it's meant to in those cases. That There are certain people who are meant to affect you, which makes it sort of your responsibility to do what you can. And I don't say this as a flippant thing, even if it's pray for them. Uh, you know, keeping them before the throne of God because it matters. That is no slight thing, praying for somebody. It matters. Um, it says he had compassion towards them. The verb to have compassion, which uh, the Greek word is wow, uh, a real whopper. Splachnidiomi is what it says. Uh, S-P-L-A-N-C-H-N-I-Z-O-M-I-A. <laughs> That's the word. The first part of the word means internal organs. Uh, your bowels, believe it or not, which they believe was the basis of emotion, your gut. That's where emotion comes from. So it literally means to be moved so deeply by something or someone that you feel it in the pit of your stomach. It physically affects you. The emotion of their uh, hardship physically has an effect on you. It's used in the New Testament only by the synoptic gospel writers. Uh, five times in Matthew, four times in Mark, and three times in Luke. Uh, suggesting strong emotion, it means to feel deep sympathy. The related noun, uh, splanchna, well, S-P-L-A-N-C-H-N-A. And there's always a or a ha in there, so I'm not even going to try. Simp yeah, they just... Yeah, so you, you go to, and you look it up and you say, how do you pronounce this word? And, and it didn't help at all. You know, when, when they pronounce it, you go, oh, okay. And uh, sympathy, affection, or inward feeling, it's used once by Luke and eight times by Paul and once by John. So it is, in one form or another, it's all through Scripture. And Paul uses another word, so it, it applies to the church. You know, eight times Paul uses that word with the church. Anyway, 15. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowd away that they may go into the village and buy food for themselves. Uh, not, not actually a, a compassionate and correct response. I mean, they, it just dawns. Everybody's so wrapped up in what's happening, the, the message, the healings, that it finally dawns on some people, hey, we don't have any food. We're in the middle of nowhere, and it's been a long day already. And he says, because Jesus, they go to him because Jesus has the authority. If Jesus says leave, they're going to leave. He's the guy. And so, you know, people talk about them being callous. I don't believe that. I, I believe they're trying to solve the problem. They don't want people to be hungry, and they have no means of solving it, you know, that they can see. They went to a remote place to get away from the crowds. There was nothing there because it was remote. And any place where there was food was far away. Uh, you know, it's easy for us to lose track of some time of how available food is to us. You know, you, you go down the block, you hop in the car, you, you get fast food, go to Giant Eagle, go to Shop and Save, go Mini Mart. It's there. Not here. They're in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing to eat. Uh, and there's a lot of them. Jesus hears their request. He sees the problem and he says to them, they don't need to go away as what they believe they believe they needed to to get fed and he says to them you give them something to eat 
which is rather profound. Um, you know, you, you can put more into this than there, but don't miss the fact that he's turning this over to them. There are two separate occasions where large crowds were miraculously fed in, script, in the Gospels, 4,000 and 5,000. And it's noted in six different places. So there's, you know, two times here, two times there, two times there. So it's an extremely important event. The feeding of the 5,000 here is the only miracle in all four Gospels. This miracle right here is the only one that gets nailed in all four except the resurrection. That's the only other one that's in all four. Jesus said it was close to Passover, so the crowds would have to be larger as people were traveling. Hey, brother, how you doing? Good, I'm by myself. I'm going to be making some noise. Say hi to the church here. Say hi. Hey, hello. Hey. <laughs> how you guys doing? <laughs> we're all well. Good, good. Good to see you, buddy. Good to see you. I Bless set you. some tables up for the, well, do you do. For the thing. So. All right. I'll good. be making some. If we finish up, we can help you. We will. Okay. All right, I'm going to close the door now. So All right. Disrupt you as little. Nah, that's oh, that's fine. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Uh, that's a good guy, man. He just really is. Do we dismiss? Okay, got that. Um, this is about a year before. Uh, just to give you some context, things are starting to happen. As we could see, as we've gone through Matthew, things are building. Uh, not only is he doing more miracles, not only has he changed his way to his ministry to be more direct to the people um miracles are more happening uh, the crowds are getting bigger uh this is about a year before the crucifixion by most people's belief this is we've got a year to go so things are starting to culminate uh, this miracle was much for the faith of the disciples who understood the logistics and the complexities of what it was occurring as it was for the crowd understand that the end is coming jesus is preparing don't lose this at this point a lot of what's happening is jesus is preparing these 12 guys for the end which is the beginning for what's coming for what they're going to be called to do it's this gradual of just pushing stuff in their direction so that their face built so when it does come so when he is dead and everything seems to be falling apart. They have something to stand on. They will have a reason for faith. And this is one of those times. This is when Jesus said to them, you know what, you do it. And I'm sure, panic, they all went and looked at each other and went, what? You know, um, you know okay, Peter, go, go ahead. You know, it's just like, this is where everybody just like whistles and looks around. Um, they said to him, so they respond, we have here only five loaves and two fishes. Now, John 6, 9 says that Andrew told Jesus that a small boy had this food. So I'm going to tell you how much food this is. Some little dude's carrying it around. You know, it's the small, uh, the small amount seems to be, honestly, if you think it through, what a mother would pack for the little boy for his lunch. You know, th this little boy has his lunch. And there's 5,000 people out what there. What did you do with the shopping money? Yeah. <laughs> I fed 5,000 people with it, Mom. Come here. I'm not lying. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and who else but a child, when you said, could, could we have your food if the other people would say, sure. 
you know, when there's no other food around, who else but a child, you know? You know, if it was a mom or a dad and they had their kids with them, saying, I gotta feed my kids, but a child would say, yeah, you can have it, you know? Um, and Jesus said, bring them here to me. So Jesus just doesn't turn it over to them. He's involved in what they're doing. He said, you do it, but bring the food to me. Give me what you have, all you have, give it to Christ, and it will be enough to do what he called you to do. That is a sermon series. It's not you, it's what he called you to do. And if you give what you have to him, he doesn't need what you have, he wants what you have. There's nothing I could offer Jesus that he needs from me, it's that he wants it from me. And there's a saying, Jesus doesn't call the prepared. Amen. Jesus prepares the call. Uh, well, I haven't heard that in a while, but that, that you know, he doesn't call the prepared, he prepares the called, and that is exactly right. And our job on that being prepared is giving him what you have and not holding on to it, not trying to, yeah. And that sounds easy, and it's not. It's not. Scary. Yeah, it is. Uh, because what happens if it does? What if it doesn't work? Then it's your fault, you know. And then you, well, you know, all of our fears, all of our insecurities, that all come from sin, uh, all have to be dealt with. And that's where these guys are. I mean, can you imagine the panic? Feed those five thousand people. What, you know? Um, Christ plus any amount is more than enough to do the will of God in the way God wants it done. Uh, what we need to know every single time is it's not us it's not you it's not a matter of my talent or ability it's not a matter of your talent or ability it's all about what did he call me to do whatever i have i give it to him and in the end it's not how successful was what he called me to do when i did it how do you gauge what's successful What's successful here is 5,000 people are fed. What's successful if God tells you to do something involving people and attitudes? Bottom line is, it's not was I smart, it's not was it witty, it's not was it uh, entertaining, did it help? Bottom line, did God use me to help something or someone, the kingdom? Uh, and it's hard to get that into your mind that that's the thing that matters that's the only thing that matters so god could you god could call you to do something and you give in to it and you give it all to the lord and you go do it and it seems like it didn't work or it seems like well that's not what i expected to happen god doesn't care what you expected to happen he used it for whatever he wanted to do. did it help somebody somewhere and that's the only reward there is you know, I want to feel good about myself that, oh, God used me. Yeah, but the whole purpose is that somebody else feels good about themselves that God used you. And uh, these guys are learning that. Ordering the, verse 19, ordering the people to sit on the grass. So Jesus tells them to do it, but he still steps up and takes the particulars and guides he's guiding them through how to do this basically he told them you do it and then he still bring them to me he's talking to the people 
How much of this is him doing it and them doing it? It's just the right amount. He gets them involved just as much as they can handle. He handles what they can't. Uh, ordering the people to sit down, he took the five loaves and the two fish it, fishes looking up towards heaven. Of course, he looks up towards heaven for their sake, for our sake, letting us know somebody just preached a sermon on God is up last week and there he is looking up towards heaven because it gives us a visual indication of we're talking about God. He blessed the food and breaking the loaves he gave them to the disciples now they're involved and the disciples gave them to the crowd. So in this whole thing what did the disciples do? They brought the fish to the, the food to Jesus then Jesus gave the food back to them and they gave it to the crowd. Jesus is the one who did it he used them to do it. Jesus takes control of the situation. Whatever needed, uh, he, whenever needed, he is there. Whatever they need him to do, he does. He tells hungry people to sit down, and they do so without seeing food. By this time, these people are hungry, and they're ready to go home, or let's, we better get moving. I mean, if you're there with your kids, you know what I mean? And you, your kids are hungry. You, you, know, you know how what you're, I gotta go feed my kids. But they listen, they, they sit down. And uh, the bread of life from Jesus to his followers, to the crowd. From Jesus to the disciples, to the crowd. From Jesus to the disciples, to the crowd. That has never changed. The kingdom goes from Jesus to you, to the world. It has never changed. Taking care of the physical needs is part of our call, especially those who come to hear about Christ. Most of the giving in the New Testament is for those who need in the church. Uh, giving in the Old Testament was mostly for the Jews and any travelers who came to Israel. It's been a long time since I preached on it, but there is an order of giving. Uh, take care of your family first. That is your responsibility. Uh, of course, this is just take care. God's always first, but with what you have, there's an order of things to the, your, your physical family because Scripture makes it very clear. Uh, anyone who doesn't is worse than a heathen. Heathen is what Paul wrote. You know, there's something really wrong with you if you don't take care of your own mother and father, your own children. You know, just that. Don't even talk to me about anything else. Do that. Then the needs in the church, then the needs in the community, and then the needs in the world. Uh, it, it's a progressive thing that works its way from inside out. And I will tell you once again, it's been a while since I said it, so it needs to be said. You cannot give what is not yours. Um, there's a lot of, well, you guys are pretty far along. I'm not worried about you. There's a lot of people on the radio and television are telling you to, if you don't have any money, give what you have and God will bless you. If I owe the electric company $300, I can't give it to someone else. It's the electric company's money. How can I do it? And expect God to bless me. God wants you to pay your bills as much as you can. If you owe it, pay it, you know, and then it doesn't do honor to God. Unless God shows up and tells you individually, put that money here, then you do it. Other than that, you do what's right, and what's right is to, it's, you can't give away somebody else's money it, and expect God to bless you for giving away somebody else's money. So I, I'll just leave it at that. Um, there was a definite order of giving, and uh, for the Christians, it's throughout the New Testament. And for the Jews, it's throughout their Old Testament. We're expected to know it and to adhere to it. Anyway, verse 20. And they all ate. There was 5,000 men, by the way. 
it wasn't 5,000 people, it was 5,000 men. Mm -hmm. And they were satisfied. In other words, uh, they all ate till they were full. Uh, they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. Uh, it, the old, all those old, what was the cast your bread upon the water and it'll come back to you on every wave, pressed down, shaken, running over. I mean, all these blessings that uh, the scripture tells us will happen is if you give what you have, this is what I'll do with it. Well, here he proves it. It's actually done right in front of everybody. There's all those Old Testament things from Isaiah. Well, here it's happening. Uh, he didn't just give them some food. He gave them enough food to fill them. They wanted no more. It doesn't say they felt satisfied, uh, uh, but they were. It wasn't as if uh, a crumb miraculously made them feel full. They were full from abundance. It's not like they took one bite and felt full. There was food there. It, was mirac it wasn't a miraculous piece of food. It was miraculous what he did with the food. This is proven by the mention of 12 baskets left over. And if you will just, I don't want to put too much emphasis on it, but how many disciples were there? 12. How many baskets were left over? 12. Who did he tell to do this? Them. So there's, you know, it, you, you can look at it and say there's a reason behind the number and why we're told what the number is instead of many baskets left over. Jesus feeds this crowd with the bread of life and what flowed over from them was used to feed others, such as the kingdom. Then it says there were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. Uh, so I think you would say there was at least as many women and children as there were men. I think that wouldn't be, because, uh, uh, you know, it's odd how many times women are mentioned as followers of Jesus. I mean, the message really sunk into the women of Israel. It really did. Uh, may have been far more than 5,000. John's account adds some interesting points. The depth of the miracle was grasped by the crowd. And they concluded that Jesus was the prophet. I'm going to read this. Now, so this happens, there's five, you know, let's just say 10,000 people total that are sitting there. And this is all happening around them. And, and not everybody is seeing everything. You know what I mean? They don't hear the conversation Jesus has with the disciples. They don't see the little boy. They don't see any of this. They're just told, Jesus just says, hey, sit down. And we sat down and all of a sudden everybody's getting fed. We're not really sure how it happened, but they know. This is, it's easy to say, well, they could have thought that they brought this food. They could have thought that they found it or that somebody supplied it. Well, John gives us some clarity on that, that that's not what happened, that all the people knew exactly what happened. Uh, John 6, 12 through 15, when they, had, when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the leftovers, fragments, so nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five loaves which were left over by those who had been eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign, they knew which he had performed. They said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. What they're saying is he is the Messiah. When you hear a prophet, that's one thing. When you hear the prophet, that goes all the way back to the Old Testament and the prophet of the prophet who is to come and who will be like Moses, who will bring something from God. 
so at this point, he feeds these people, and all of a sudden it dawns on 10,000 people. This guy's the Messiah. This, he's the one who we've been waiting for. So this runs through the crowd. There's, he's the Messiah. I mean, it would just like me and you rolling, sitting there, and we look at each other, and we say, that's the Messiah. That's him. I mean, that epiphany of spiritual truth. So Jesus, it says, verse 15 of John 6, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, which still tells us what they're expecting the Messiah to be. See, don't miss what all's going on here and how this all plays into Jerusalem a year from now. They're saying, that's the Messiah. So the next conclusion they make is, he should be the king, political king, physical king. And so they're saying, that's the Messiah. Let's make him the king. And Jesus sees that, and he, with it says, withdrew again to the mountains by himself alone. Um, don't lose sight of what the people are looking for. Yes, they see a great spiritual truth, but they take that great spiritual truth, this is the Messiah, and it becomes what they want it to be. They weren't listening to what Jesus was saying. It's always all those words that he had said with the miracles should have given them some idea of what he was actually here to do. And I would understand, I mean, they have never been told anything different by any preacher, pastor, rabbi, that the Messiah would do anything but free them from the Romans. So it's hard to blame them for what they've been told and what was readily accepted. Uh, problem was, Jesus wasn't playing that game. You know, and thankfully he wasn't. I mean, look how the world, <laughs> because he came to be a Messiah to the world instead of just the king of the Jews, uh, the world changed, not just Israel. The well, world from changed. From perception, I mean, if you think historically about the other saviors that they've had. Yep. I mean, Moses yep. delivered them from Egypt. Yes. You know, other, you know... Absolutely. David delivered them from... The Philistines. The yeah. Philistines, right. And so... Yes. If you think about it in those terms... It makes sense. You can't totally blame them for thinking so far off base. Absolutely. We have the beauty of hindsight. If we were them, we'd be doing the same thing. Uh, I have no doubt. Uh, it's just everything you've ever been told, everything you've ever seen. Um, it's a new way. It, it's, it's above and beyond anything they were thinking. And it took a while for it to actually catch on. Well, he had to die and rise from the dead. And the church had to grow before people grasped what the kingdom actually was. And if you understand it, 2,000 years later, thousands of miles away, the kingdom is still occurring right here in Anne Ashley Church in the library and online. The kingdom is thriving uh, because it wasn't that. And we still make the mistake of trying to politicize Jesus Christ and God to be on our side to get what we want instead of what he wants the kingdom to be. Anyway, verse 22, it says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side 
while he sent the, uh, the crowds away. So, well, wow, that went fast. Um, but we'll, we'll leave off there. So just leave, he feeds, he has this massive miracle. I mean, of all the things he does, somehow, this one probably affected more people than most of the ones he did. I mean, he's done. He did a lot of things, and there were smaller groups. There were smaller groups who saw it. There was these people. There was ten thousand people who were directly affected by what he did, and this is big stuff. And as soon as it happens, and they try to, you know, impose God's here. Let's make him king. He goes off by himself. He sends the crowd away, and he sends them out in a boat. He puts a kibosh on everything. Everybody, calm down. You know, you know, it's it's coming. This isn't the time and this isn't the way. And so we'll leave there. Any questions, comments, criticisms, anything we want to know or point out? So it's verse 20. I think uh, um, I wanted to make a comment uh, in, in watching the uh, Chosen. The yes. scene where uh, the, the 5,000 are fed. It was very well done in that, yes. that production, and it made you uh, understand it a lot more completely. I think. I agree. It, it made it come alive. Yeah, um, it did. The chosen is outstanding. I'll say it again. I know I keep saying it, but if you're not watching it, uh, you're missing something. It's free. It's on all kinds of stuff. Actually, I think Channel Twenty Two broadcasts it every Sunday. Uh, the local station. They, an app or something? Oh, it's a, you don't even need the app anymore. It used to be hard because to watch it all, you had to download the app. It's on uh, Prime. It's on. It just about everybody's carrying it right now. But it it's it's Matthew's account, which is where we are. And it's really neat to read this stuff and go through it in a study and then see it as somebody perceives it and it seems and I got to be honest it seems to be done really well they don't go on any wild uh, you know uh, down a, a, a crooked path or anything they keep it within the realm of what it most likely was and they do it very well and the thing that we can't bring out that it does is the interaction between all the disciples between themselves and Jesus the fact that they're human beings and that they have issues they have pride they have all and they also have these beautiful gifts and how it all interplays and how everybody grows and it takes time and it takes the spirit to do that but i'm, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, every time i watch it it makes me think of bible study and it's like a very nice augmentation to bible study it is so i'm not saying it's gospel i'm just saying it's it's really worth watching so anything else guys thanks for well, I would say too. Uh, I I plan, I'm all finished with the the three uh, right. years, and I'm planning to start over again at the beginning because uh, it, it's like when you're watching a movie and then you see it for a second time. Yeah, you pick up on things yes. that somehow you mm -hmm. missed the first time around. So Espe it's worth watching it several. Yes, times. especially the first couple. Um, uh, episodes of, of the first year uh i wasn't sure what was happening or how they were doing this now it all makes sense you know what i mean because right, right. we start with mary magdalene and it, it's honestly it, as you go into the third season the first season you go wow that was really well done it all builds to something right, you know right and you don't see it until you're there 
But it is, so I agree. Yep. Is there anything else? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these folks. I just ask you to bless them. Lord, we try so hard to know your word and your way. Uh, honor our efforts, Father. Just whatever's from you, let it just find a home in our hearts and change us. And whatever's not, just let it go away and uh, have no ill effect. But I ask, Father, that you make my brothers and sisters strong, wise, brave, and compassionate. You help them to glorify your name and what they think, do, and say. And I ask you to bless them all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.